Hello and welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Evan Brand. Thanks for joining me. I'm a certified functional medicine practitioner operating worldwide via phone, FaceTime, Skype, whatever we need to do to see each other face-to-face across the planet. That's what I do. Love helping people. You know, I kind of resisted becoming the, the poop guy, the gut bug guy, but I see so many gut infections and I see so many different autoimmune diseases every single week and there's always a link to these gut bugs. So, you know, parasites, bacterial overgrowth, H. pylori, you know, I had all of those issues myself and now I've worked on a thousand plus cases of eradicating and fixing those issues. Now, before we get into the show, we have a new sponsor. So let's chat about them. Four Sigmatic, you've probably heard them already, the mushroom company. And they are now sponsoring the show, at least two episodes a month for the next few months. What that means is you guys get a special discount and you're able to access these products cheaper than anywhere else. And the product I'm using is the matcha. You guys know that I love matcha. So that's a product that they happen to have, which is great because I thought they were just mushrooms. And I thought, huh, let me pick a favorite mushroom to talk about. But, you know, then the matcha including the organic ceremonial grade matcha, which is what you want. Anytime you buy a matcha, it's got to be ceremonial grade because I just don't trust anything lower than that. It just doesn't taste as good. It's not going to have the level of theanine that you want, which is going to help boost up your GABA brain waves. So when searching, you always want to have ceremonial grade and their product is called mushroom matcha. So it is the matcha plus organic lion's mane mushroom. And I'm sure I'll chat more about that once I have more time to put this substance into my body. So the special link that you need is foursigmatic.com slash Evan. So that's F-O-U-R, like the number four, sigmatic, S-I-G-M-A-T, as in Tom, I-C. Forsigmatic.com slash Evan. Check it out. There's other products too, but that's just the one that I like the best. Now I'm probably going to play with some of these others here and have more feedback for you. But for now, that is my go-to. They've got just your standard reishi mushroom. They've got your chaga. They've got your cordyceps and what they call mushroom coffee, which a lot of my clients who were getting off of regular coffee to help their adrenals come back online, I switch them over to the mushroom coffee. I haven't used it that much just because I like matcha. So that's what I'm doing. So check it out, foursigmatic.com slash Evan. Let's get into the show. Aaron Alexander is an accomplished manual therapist and movement coach with over 13 years of professional experience. He is the founder of the Align Movement, an integrated approach to functional movement and self-care that has helped thousands of people out of pain and into health. He hosts the top-rated Align podcast featuring the biggest names in movement and wellness. Aaron's clients include Hollywood celebrities, ooh, wow, Olympic professional athletes, and everyone in between. He teaches workshops and speaks at events all over the world. Aaron, thanks for joining me. Thanks so much for having me on, man. One of the, the probably the most notable guests on the Align podcast would be Mr. Evan Brand. Oh, well, thank so, you. you. You know it's legit. Did you get any uh, good feedback from the episode we did together? Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, it's, 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 I've, you are one of the folks that I love listening back to and like taking notes on. So, yeah, we've got a lot of good feedback so far. Nice. And I know I was on your podcast back in episode 07. That was, was that what it was? Well, that was the first time. I mean, you've had me on a, a yeah, yeah. two or three, but that was one of the first. So that was however many years ago that was. How long have you been podcasting? Like three, four years? It's It's been three over three years now. So I've done, I've recorded over 200 episodes. I've released 157 or so. We've done, yeah, the last one was with Kimberly Snyder, really wonderful woman. Just did a book with Deepak Chopra and... It's been a good. It's been a good ride so far. So, what are you learning? I mean, I, I feel like the more that I know, the more that I don't know. So every time I mm. get my mind blown by a new guest, it's like, oh, I thought I was learning more, and now I feel like I know less, and and that's because yeah. things get more deep and complicated and nuanced and and things like that. What are your, what are your maybe blow away episodes that that people should look at? Oh man. Well, some of the ones that, so I, I mean, I've had Wim Hof on, I've had Kelly Starrett, someone who I, who I really value quite a bit in the world. Um, Dr. McCole I've had on a couple times. There's been, there's a lot of, lot of good folks on there, but the, the big thing that I have found as a takeaway is to take myself less seriously and, uh, become more of like a passive 
observer as opposed to feeling like I need to infuse any of my own my own juju in there you know like the more that it's like the the quality of life is based off of the quality of questions asked is something that I've heard said a bunch and I think that's that's something that's been the highest value for me is uh just kind of stepping back a little bit that's been really helpful so basically that's making you to become a better interviewer too because instead of you big time wanting to like rule the conversation you're saying yeah, yeah, exactly. If you can, so it's it's like infusing your own ideas into it just enough for the benefit of sparking electricity in the conversation right. and no more. You know, I think that's the real, like, like conversating, connecting with people is a real art form and there's some science to it too. If you look like neurolinguistic programming and, you know, there's a lot of different approaches at it. But I think that having that kind of that it's like meditation is really helpful for more all the active parts of your life. You know, so by creating a little bit more stillness in any aspect of your life, things start to go a little bit smoother. It's the same concept in conversation. You know, sometimes we have this this insatiable urge to infuse sound into every moment because we're scared of that awkward silence. You know, a couple a couple seconds of silence in a, in, a, in an interview feels like it's like, you know, an hour. But I think by allowing that spaciousness in the conversation, all of a sudden some really beautiful ideas end up popping out. That's something I've tried to get better at. Instead of going, <laughs> um, it's not easy. so, and, isn't it interesting <laughs> yeah. how many things we do? And it's subconscious. Like maybe you're, you're able to create a more conscious attitude to it. But for quite a while, I was unconscious. And the thing is, I do try to listen back to all of my interviews at some point just to see. Some people, I've heard like stand-up comics, I think Joe Rogan even says that he doesn't even listen. Maybe maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like I heard him say he doesn't listen or he doesn't watch back his old stand-up specials. Maybe mm, I'm wrong. Old, maybe, old ones. Maybe it's the old ones. Yeah. I kind of explore a balance with that. I think that there is there are moments where it feels just potentially overly self-indulgent and there'd be more value in exploring outer worlds and then there's other moments where i think it is it is beneficial to to reflect and look back and really if i do listen to it generally speaking i listen to it with uh, a fairly critical lens not in like a like i'm like denigrating myself but critical in the sense of, of how can i do better yeah and uh i think that it's, it's a game changer it's the same perspective with watching yourself move you know since that's something a topic that i, I get into quite a bit it's if we can just see the way that we do a squat or see the way that we walk or sit down or or see ourselves do like a public speaking event or something of that nature you see so much more than if you had just uh, kind of like walked away from that. There's a lot of lessons in all of it, I think. I like studying other people too at events, and I want to chat about you oh, yeah. and you and Mercola because I know you guys got to do some stuff together, which is cool. I love that he's like embracing the youth. I mean, he's chatted with you. He's come on my podcast, and he's just he's really open-minded and not egotistical to his approaches he's like okay look i want to learn from these younger dudes and see what they're up to so that's just so cool so i want to ask you about that in a minute but what yeah. i've noticed is like going to health conferences and things i'll see certain people and maybe they're an expert at their craft and they're just a bit nervous or maybe they're just unsure about their message or i don't know what it is i've seen people that just pace Back and forth, back and forth, back mm. and forth. And something that I've learned that was just so cool and something that's gotten me a lot of great feedback, which I don't do a ton of speaking gigs in person because I just don't like to jump on planes that often for many, many reasons that you're probably aware of. I noticed many people want to pace back and forth with no real intention. And when I'm speaking on stage, I'm so intentional with my movement because that's part of the conversation. And if you're pacing back and forth, I literally can't even focus on the conversation anymore. I'm just mm, so focused yeah. on this guy that's going to the edge of the stage and then he goes to the other ed end of the stage, but there's no purpose behind it versus I was telling a story of how I came out of a uh, Whole Foods and had just bought a bunch of like organic berries and fruits and whatever else. And the Girl Scouts were standing outside of the Whole Foods and hey, you want to buy some cookies? And I felt like I didn't want to shut them down. So I was just like, ah, no thanks. And my body language, I went up against the wall 
and put my head against the wall like my god here we are trying to create a health revolution and then you got these poor kids selling hydrogenated palm oil and we're cutting <laughs> cutting down their orangutan's habitat for for the girl scouts but anyway my point being that my my body language <laughs> totally worth it. was intentional and my body language was me up against the wall, like putting my head against the wall, like, oh, my God, this is so frustrating of us trying to pull ourselves out of the health crisis. But yet we've still got hydrogenated oils and Girl Scout cookies and millions of those are being sold a year. It's like, how are you ever going to come out of the health battle? So that was my whole point about about body language. Now, you being a movement expert, you've done something with Mercola because he gave you some type of a testimonial that said you helped mm. him out with a diaphragm issue. What was that about, and how did you help him with his diaphragm issue? Man, well, so many of us are stuck in and around our thoracic spine, diaphragm, heart, lung. Like that part of our bodies is, is for the vast majority of Western culture, is, is fairly inhibited or, or kind of shut down. You know, because most of our life, we end up being folded forward in these these hunched over positions. So we're staring into our cell phones. We're sitting in bucket seats of cars. We're in a bus, plane, like pick a situation in your office. And you tend to just be in this hunched over forward head posture, rolled forward shoulders position. And as we put ourselves into those positions, our musculature, our nervous system, it's not able to, to function. You know, you think of like, Ho like like water moving through a hose for that hose to function correctly you need to be able to open up all the various different valves or just the tube in general that's same concepts happening throughout the musculature throughout your body and so when we put ourselves in that collapsed type position we end up kind of starting to uh, disengage the muscles around our diaphragm you can think of your diaphragm it's it's kind of like a like a like a suction cup you know, and that the size of that suction cup i mean it could it's sizable enough that if it's in the right position, I mean, you could like pick up a car. And I don't know if that's that's an exact fact, but it could pick up a lot, like a big suction cup. And but think if that suction cup, think if you tilt it over to the side just a little bit, or think if you put a little dent into it. So now all of a sudden you lose all your compression out of that suction cup. It it starts to not function, and that's the scenario with most of us moving around the world with our in this case, the respiratory diaphragm, but then that sends a signal, a, you know, a hydraulic signal down to your pelvic floor, sends the same signal up into your neck, your head, uh, your whole body distributes that, that imbalance. And so with working with Mercola, just as an example, we just kind of got in and through slow, passive work, a lot of breath work and slow manual therapy, uh, we start to kind of re-enliven some of that tissue. Most of us, we just need a friendly reminder to come back online. And uh, that's what I do from a manual therapy perspective with, with certain people. So is it that the nervous system basically is turning off those muscles and the brain's forgetting those muscles are there? Or what's happening behind the scenes where we create these issues? So think of, have you ever had a cast anywhere in your body? Luckily, no. Okay, cool. Well, congratulations on that. Uh, but for anybody, for anybody that has, what you'll notice after you take that cast is you'll notice, you know, your arm. Say it's an arm cast. Your arm, the muscles are all off, and it's stiff and rigid, and it feels it's like a it's all flaccid. You know, it's just disengaged. It's, so the muscles literally atrophied. You know, so that disengagement will happen anytime you're not using a part of your body. The same thing with your with your brain as well. The brain is your body, you know, and so. As we are, when we put our body in a position that we're not able to be contracting and relaxing certain muscles, then they start to just check out. They start to disengage or atrophy. So in order to keep ourselves functioning, it's kind of like cleaning your house. You know, you, your house, the moment you step away and stop kind of sweeping on a regular basis or cleaning your dishes on a regular basis, things just start to aggregate and add up. You know, so a similar concept in our body, we kind of have to go through and uh, just pay some attention to all these different parts of our body. And if we don't, uh, entropy will will come, you know, or 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 disengagement. It, it can potentially freeze up, which is what happens to a lot of people. So how do you feel about the standing desk? I know for Mercola, he had a standing desk, but then he was blasting himself with like a 50-inch TV screen as his computer monitor. <laughs> 
And then yeah. now he's all concerned about EMF and all of that. So now I believe he's ditched the 50 inch. I don't know what he's using now, but he's on the complete opposite end of the spectrum where he was just a couple years ago. But I know he really got me into thinking of a standing desk. So now I use one that can go from sitting to standing and you can adjust it. And I try to go back and forth because just inherently, I don't think it's good to stand all day, nor do I think it's good to sit all day. So I thought the variety was good. And then now you see all this research coming in. It's like, okay, look, we've had people do standing desk, and it's bad news. And and people that are standing mm. for eight hours are really hurting themselves. So can you just give us the your your yep. take, the, the whole truth about this standing-sitting argument? Yeah, so from a metabolic perspective, standing desks – are better you could say it's just like a dumb statement uh but the big the, the bigger conversation is how you are utilizing the standing desk or how you are utilizing your chair or how you are utilizing the floor you know so it always comes these are all just different tools so as you're standing up if you're standing in a array of compromised positions so your knee is collapsing in your foot's collapsing in your glutes are disengaged your spine's folded forward you're just exacerbating all those same patterns that are causing you discomfort in your body then you're still just drilling those same patterns in if we're able to step back and kind of pull the lens back a little bit and look at it as more as like it's a real art form to to stand Right. That's you know, for thousands of years been practicing Tadasana, mountain pose and yoga. You know, so we've really put some thought into this this standing operation. But as a Westerner, we don't ever get any adequate education around that. And it's the same concept with sitting as you're sitting on the edge of a chair, ideally on the edge, because that way you can you can bear your own weight and stack and support your spine. It's an art form. And so if you're able to find a balance and a stack throughout your spine and you're able to get your butt on the front edge of your sit bones as you're sitting on the chair and you're feeling weight distributed through your feet it's a great position the issue isn't sitting sitting is not the new smoking um, that's like something that a meme that's been passed around it's it's the quality of the sit you know so these are all just tools you know, so if you figure out how to use the hammer you can start building houses with it but we've you know, been using it to whack ourselves in the head with instead. That's good advice. So uh, the sitting on the edge thing, see, my grandmother does that. And I've always thought that she was like on edge or nervous or something. She just, <laughs> likes Chill to, out. she just likes to sit at the edge of the couch. So you're saying that's basically turning on many more muscles. And if you're sitting with no back yep. versus sitting with a, with your back against the chair, you're actually activating more muscles. Yes. And then it comes into, do you have the movement competency to actually find alignment in your spine? Most everybody does. It's just figuring out a few subtle mechanical changes. The big thing that everyone absolutely needs to have established, like we naturally as babies establish this at a young age, because when you see a kid start to finally figure out how to stack themselves up and they're sitting on their, their, their big butt, they end up being on the front edge of their sit bones and they have this nice, beautiful, long stacked spine. That's because they don't have the muscular integrity yet to cheat. So when they're coming from that kind of more like blank slate model, they're just finding alignment with gravity. They don't have that, that kind of superfluous, excessive muscle that, you know, maybe like more of like a, a young man would start to put onto their body with bodybuilding exercises that can support them through various different imbalanced positions. So they're just finding that stack. And the way that they do that is you'll see them on, they're on the front edge of their sit bones. So the sit bones are the ischial tuberosities and they're the little bony protrusion fellas poking out your butt cheeks. If we can be on the front edge of those guys as we're sitting down, that sets the sacrum and the lumbar spine up for a position of success, which is a slight lumbar curve. And then from there, it kind of starts to send a, a signal through the rest of your spine to start to stack and support. Most of us, when you look at people, um, they fall into this, I call it like a depressed puppy dog position with their pelvis when they sit. And then their belly collapses forward and their spine collapses forward and then their neck juts forward. That's like welcome to modernity that that is the modern position and depression is has become or will be very soon they said by 2020 but i think it already happened um the number one leading cause of disability in the world and 
were from a movement conversation, were practicing the archetype, the structural archetype of depression. And we have a physiological translation from that being stress hormones and decreased testosterone and you know, that's a whole nother conversation but it's all it's all tied together well let's chat about it i think let's bring it into this conversation because that's real people may say oh my god what this guy's talking about movement affecting my mood or my my <laughs> position or the way i'm sitting in a chair affecting my mood talk us through talk us through that aaron there's several different pieces of literature that have tested this of people with their their hormones and positions yeah, the really obvious one that, that a lot of people have probably heard, but for those that haven't, was the one that was done out of Harvard with Amy Cuddy. She has a really popular TED Talk, and they did saliva samples of uh, two different groups, and they did one group, they had them in a uh, upright superwoman position, they called it, and they did saliva samples after just two minutes of standing in that upright position what they found was increased testosterone levels and decreased cortisol. So cortisol is like the famous stress hormone, testosterone, good for cognition, making you feel more robust and all that. The inverse happens when you go into a folded over position. So what that position ends up being, that's an integrated pattern over millennia of that's a defense position. So if I'm here just hanging out right now, I'm sitting on my bio mat and I'm hanging out on my cushy little rug thing and I'm, I'm chilling, right? So my spine isn't in a position of, of being crunched forward, protecting my organs. I'm just hanging out. But if all of a sudden, say, an intruder came in the front door, think you walk yourself through. Everyone can kind of take themselves through that same thing. You go from relaxed to all of a sudden there's an intruder in the door. Just envision what your your body structurally does. You'll end up kind of leaning forward. Maybe your shoulders will raise up, right? That's called a startle reflex. Right? Your shoulders kind of creep up to your ears. Maybe your neck kind of crunches back a little bit and you have that tension back behind your, your neck, your suboccipital ridge. Uh, your diaphragm will contract. You, you go through this whole defense response. But that defense response, we've integrated that as every time I put myself in that position, I'm sending myself a cellular signal that I need to either fight, flight, or freeze. So we have that's it's it's one and the same, you know. So it's like we're pulling on two ends of the same rope, is the way I describe it. So when we're having an emotional conversation, say you're doing talk therapy or something like that, that will have if it changes the person, then it will have a structural shift. We can do the same thing from the other end. We can do manual therapy and rolfing or physical therapy, Cairo. And if the work lands, if we make impact, the person will walk out feeling better. It's not just a just a, a a physical thing. Oh, my elbow feels better. It's I feel lighter. I feel like I can go take on the world. You know, so it's 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 the same conversation. We just say it in different ways. That's a trip. Well, I'm thinking of all these people that have go that have gone to therapy, like a mental health therapy. They speak with a therapist, and you could just picture like the the stereotypical teenager who's kind of slumped down in the chair. Mm -hmm. So it's like if you yeah. want to change your emotions. I mean, we've talked about amino acids on the show. We've talked about parasite infections affecting the mood. Like for me, you know, I dealt with depression for probably a decade, and a lot of it was my gut. But I think the missing piece in all this for me was probably the posture because I mean, yeah. as a teenager, I mean, I could think, I don't know how many hours I lost as a kid. Now, luckily <clears throat> it wasn't until I was a teenager that I started playing indoors, but age, you know, zero to 13, 13, maybe 14, I was outside. It's yeah. interesting. I think you and I, I don't know how similar we are in age, but we are some of the last generation that I think fully played outside. And then now, all the kids that are growing up now, they've grown up with high-speed internet. So there hasn't really been an incentive to get outside, let alone just not even talking about posture, but just being sedentary, period. Yeah. I mean, yeah. What, but, is that, what is that doing? I mean, that can't be, that's not normal. Yeah, so one of the things in relation to just being outside, from a movement perspective, I think it's called, is it Shinrin-yoku? Is that yep. nature bathing, the Japanese word for it? Yes, yeah, so they talk about fight insides and all these different effects from being outside. I think that some of that information gets scrambled together. You know, it's like correlation, not causation kind of thing. Uh, it gets scrambled absolutely without a doubt 
being around the various different chemicals that are coming off of plants is, is, is rad for your body. You know more about it than I do. Uh, and there's all sorts of other movement conversations that are happening there that I'm sure spill into that pot. Uh, one of which is, is your eyesight. Right, so as I'm talking to you, I'm looking out my window. I happen to be looking at some plants conveniently. Uh, and I'm intentionally doing that because it relaxes your eyes. So most of us are stuck staring into cell phones, staring into screens, and then even if we're not staring into that screen, we spend a lot of time inside. When you're inside, that actually, for, in order for you to see images clearly, your, the lens of your eyes, they need to change shape to refract that light to create a clear image. As you look out in the distance, that light coming up to your eye comes more at like a straight on angle. Uh, and so then the, the lens doesn't need to change shape in order to perceive that light clearly. So we have these muscles called ciliary muscles that contract and relax those lenses of our eyes. And when we look out in the distance, we literally are having a facial relaxation, right? So you're getting like a little facelift, essentially. You're able to relax your whole body through kind of taking on that initial relaxation through your eyes. So when you're looking, when you're walking out through the woods, you're doing, there's, there's so many things happening. You know, we try to point out these individual things that we can measure in a beaker, but one of the beakerable measurable components of it is just playing with expanding your vision. You know, China is, I said China like Trump there. Did you hear that? That was weird. China. Uh, but they are, uh, I think it's something like 90% of adolescents are uh, myopic, right? Because they're all, they're staring into screens all the time. There might be other conversations around that as well, uh, but there's certainly a, a movement conversation there. You know, it's becoming just a normal thing to be stuck in nearsightedness. Those muscles, as we we're talking about with the diaphragm, if they're chronically contracting, you know, a high percent of the time, then they don't learn how to expand. And so they get stuck in that hypertonic contracted state. You also see a lot of people being really stressed out in these countries. You know, so with that, they we're seeing a muscular contraction, a muscular stress, and now we see that trickle down into emotional stress. And we're seeing that happen with uh, people in Western culture as well. What a trip. I mean, we know that looking at a screen is a stress, but I'm also thinking about books. I wonder how that changes things too, because even if it's, not a cell phone, and you still have a book in that same position, I wonder if that's creating the same tension in the eye muscles that you're talking about. Yeah, it's really helpful for your brain to consolidate memories by taking a walk. So if you, I, I bet you've naturally noticed this, especially because you, you seem to be pretty in, in tune with, with these things in your own, your own self. Um, have you ever noticed that after you come up on some idea or you like purge something out of your brain you get on paper you know you, your brain's been been tinkering around on something have you ever noticed that after maybe like 15 minutes or so you'll have this sensation like oh, i gotta take a walk <laughs> absolutely <laughs> yeah well this morning you know, so you're you're naturally doing that because your brain wants to interpret that information if you just stay stuck in place it gets it becomes stagnant your brain your brain that movement, that contralateral movement, that walking, it ties the hemispheres of your brains together. Of your brain together, your brains together, your brain together. You can say well, brains, I guess that works. Have you heard of like walking meetings? Like this is like a thing. Like I don't remember if it was Steve Jobs or who it is, but there was somebody out there, and a walking meeting was like the thing to do. And I don't really have that many quote unquote meetings, but I do have a lot of consultations. So this morning I told you we got a bunch of snow, which is just unusual for this time of the year. And I thought, you know what? I don't have to review any lab work for this, this client. Usually I've got to have lab work in front of me. I didn't have any lab work. So I was able to just go out and I put on my headset and went out into the woods and I just walked the entire time. And the thing that was crazy is the conversation went different than it would if I was inside at my desk, whether I was sitting or standing, just being out in the woods for one. I had just a, a very, I don't know, just a, a different sense of clarity and maybe a different sense of direction where I wanted to go. Maybe it helped me to be a little bit more direct as well. Yeah. Well, I, I yes. don't know. So walking or, or movement in general has been shown to help with divergent thinking, divergent meaning outside of the box type thinking, so creative type ideas. Uh, 
and there was like there's all sorts of anecdotal stories. So Darwin, as he was coming up with his ideas of evolution and all that stuff, he was he was notorious for going on walks. Uh, it's like name the person they they end up connecting their best ideas to going for walks. And along with that, it's interesting because you can start to villainize sitting. Again, sitting is not a problem. Okay. It's how are you sitting and, and, and recognizing that sitting is a tool. You know, so as I'm sitting right now, I'm in, you know, I'm, I have one leg's going out in kind of like a hamstring stretch type position and the other legs in kind of like a pigeon stretch position. So I'm actively mobilizing my hip girdle. I'm kind of creating that, that like Lotus type position there. And the other side, I'm actively mobilizing the, the back of my leg, you know, my hamstrings and my calves. You know, so it can, it, it becomes a tool. Um, but with with that, what were you going to say? Well, I want to ask you something about the office setting because you know there's so many people that they may listen to your podcast or listen to my podcast to to get them through the day or while they're working at a desk. So if you're in a situation where maybe the boss won't let you completely ditch your chair and get a standing desk or get an exercise ball or or something like that, are there any strategies that somebody at a desk job absolutely should be doing or could be doing to try to help mitigate that whole lazy sitting i'm going to call it lazy sitting i don't know if that's your official term but for lack of a better word that's legit okay yeah what do you do what do (laughs) you do if if you're if you're if you're a desk jockey you could call it sitting like an asshole that works as well uh you know so as you're sitting in that that hunched over position again you're kind of you're creating turmoil in your body essentially uh the obvious one that I, I think it's obvious is raising your screen up you know so if you can raise your screen up a bit then make sure that that screen is at a level such that it causes you to force you to pull your head back a little bit and so you really want to be able to stack your head up on top of your hips assuming you're in a sitting position um, the other big thing is make sure that your keyboard you got to get a split screen keyboard setup uh, ideally not like bluetooth or any of that stuff because for obvious reasons that people on this show i'm sure are well savvy with um, and get that low enough so that it can be you can relax your shoulders down and be able to relax your hands on top of that keyboard. If your screen is high and then you're crunching your shoulders up in order to press on the keyboard, that's not going to work out. Uh, the, the other big thing is figuring out the height of your chair. The height of the chair wants to be such that your hips, your pelvis, is raised above your knees. So if you put a ball on your uh, quads, your thigh, your femur, then that ball would roll down to your knees. If you're ever in a position where you put that ball, it would roll back to your crotch. That means that you're setting your pelvis up to go into that sad puppy dog position. The other thing is putting, I'll, I'll wrap the list up, I promise. But the other thing is putting some type of uh, stimulation of sorts on the ground and being barefoot. So you could just save yourself the whatever money and just go outside and get some rocks. They'd be better for you for various reasons anyway. Uh, and just press your feet up against those rocks and uh, stand up a lot. You know, so it's, again, it's not about the sit. It's not about the stand. It's did you create enough adaptation throughout the day? So every time you sit and stand, that's a bonus. You know, and then as you're sitting and standing, recognize that that sitting action that you did, you're replicating a squat. So if you go into a gym and you're practicing powerlifting with Mark Bell or whoever, they're going to teach you the same mechanics that I teach you at one of my seminars. So we're going to bring the hip, we're going to hinge the hips back, bring the butt all the way back to the, the corner of the seat essentially. I describe it as imagining you have little antennas on your on your butt cheeks and they're they're curious about the world behind you you reach those hips back keep the spine nice and long until you finally land on the chair but most of us we just collapse into the chair you know, so just a little more intention into it is, is a really big big tool okay so i feel like i might need to adjust my chair so you're saying i don't th- so the ball wouldn't roll towards me but it's it rolls I'm, away from you it rolls I'm, towards your knees i maybe yeah maybe how much of an angle do you want, though? Like, it would slightly... More, the roll. more, the merrier. Really? Yeah, the okay. more, the merrier. Yeah, so it, it, to a certain point, it's just going to be weird and uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, and with that, though, you're starting to... The, the closer you are to standing up, 
for one thing, you're going through a new range of motion with your hips, you know, so you could play with different angles of the chair. Uh, but the big thing is that you need to be in a position that that's sitting you in front of those, those sit bones on the front edge of those bones. If you're in the front edge of those, those bones, then you're starting with a solid foundation to put the rest of your body on top of. But if you were building a house, you wouldn't want a non-supportive foundation. That'd be a really bad decision. So that's what we're doing as we're going through the world. Most people have really poor foundations for their feet, for their pelvis, and then the rest of the body collapses. And so we, we got to figure out the foundation. Okay. And then what about, I mean, this is, this is like the details that helps people for sure. What about, what about your arms? So like I've got my laptop, it sits on one of those little aluminum stands it's not mm-hmm. quite up to eye level, but it's pretty close. So I've got this laptop maybe eight or ten inches off of the desk, which is really helpful. Yeah. So I'm not perfectly eye level, but pretty darn close. And then what about like your, you know, people talk about this whole 90 degree thing where your your forearm needs to be at 90 degrees to your upper arm. So when you put your arms flat out, they should just sit flat down on the desk. Like just in terms of like helping to prevent carpal tunnel and things like that, do you believe there's an optimal angle of your arms as well should it be flat should it be pointing down where the ball rows down towards your hands or how should yeah that there is there is an optimal and along with that that optimal becomes poisonous if it becomes excessive so the poison is always in the dosage so if you from a movement perspective you could look at every movement that you do as a nutritional supplement so if you're standing in that call that perfect 90 degree angle that's like a vitamin whatever d supplement or whatever you want to call it you do a little bit of that that's fantastic but if you go overboard with it that becomes just as stagnant and uh, deleterious as any other position so at the end of the day Sure, find optimal position positions. <laughs> That's the big thing. It's it's not optimal position positions. So from that from that space, sort that out. Be in that position for ten minutes, whatever, and then do some lunges, do some squats, change the the workstation up. So when I'm I'm working on this this book right now, so I'll sit on the floor uh, com- exclusively. I don't I, I don't use a chair at any point. Um, it's fine if I did use a chair, but I, I just don't. And so I'll sit on the floor. I'll use a butt cushion so I can be on the front edge of my sit bones like that. I'll put the computer up on the edge of a couch or on a chair or on a a low coffee table. And then that's one position. Position two, I'll put a pillow underneath my belly to support my lower back. And I'll bring the laptop down onto the floor. And now I'm sitting in kind of like a, like a, a, a sphinx or like a cobra position in yoga. Right. So now I'm starting to open up all that stuff in the front of my spine. Um, then maybe I'll go sit on my side for a little bit. Then I'll sit on the other side for a little bit. Then I'll take the laptop into the kitchen and I'll put it on a counter and I'll stand up for a little bit. As I'm doing that, I'll kind of hinge my hips back and do like a little hamstring stretch and then have breaks, <laughs> you know, play some music, get a little dance in, go for a walk, make sure that you have the door open and the lights coming through, look in multiple distances on a regular basis. Your body needs variability. It needs to adapt. If it doesn't, it gets bored. And I think it, you know, might start attacking you. <laughs> That's like another bigger conversation. Right, right. Well, I mean, it just it just makes me think. You know, with, I see so many cases of autoimmune disease in many shapes and forms, and it makes me think. Okay, what's the missing nutrient here? And I believe that nutrient yep. could be the movement or the lack of movement, or more importantly, as you said, the lack of breaks. I mean, how simple is that? It's like, mm-hmm. you know, I've gotten to the point now where I literally had to just schedule a lunch hour because I would eat but I wouldn't prioritize it as much as I should. So I would just go, 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 go back to back to back to back calls, which is great. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I am moving for those. Like I'll walk around or I'll stand up, sit down, go to a different environment, go down onto the floor. I've got like a sheepskin rug that I'll lay on and have that, have that laid out to, to try to change my position, but it's still not a break. Yeah. I mean, how simple is that? And it's free. Yeah. The other thing that's uh, popping up for me that I was, I was recently reading about was, Looking, if you look at any the way that any animal moves in nature, uh, it's called the the unnecessary term for it. It's called levy flight pattern. Levy walking is what they change it to for people, which is this uh, I believe is a French mathematician called Paul Levy. Fact check me, fact check me on that all that. But he studied various different systems, and what he saw with that 
everything from financial systems to studying, studying sharks and the way that they move, their pattern is the same as what you'd see with tribal people walking around. So they studied Hatsa tribesmen, I believe was what this one was. They strapped GPS units to their chests or wherever it was, and they measured how far they're moving each day, but also the patterning in which they moved. And they called it super diffusive movement patterning. So super diffusive mean it you know it diffused, it moved all over the place. And so that's another interesting component to the movement conversation is uh, getting outside of that that linearity of going from just point A to point B. Like every once in a while, have a weird random experience. Like open ourselves up to to the unexpected. And once again, this stems into the whole emotional thing. I think that the way you move translates into the way that you feel and the way that you interpret the world. So if you are the type of person that is open to adventure, open to spontaneity, that will potentially, from my angle, translate into a a little bit more of like a, a diffusive mover as well. Yeah, so just getting into this idea that you are your movement, you know, really embody that thing. Don't just treat it as homework, like, like get it in you. And then from there, then we can, you know, start to have like a more real conversation. I think a key takeaway is if you're not feeling well, make sure you're evaluating your movement. I mean, I can think of times where if I don't feel well, I'm probably in that balled up position and I don't do it on purpose. I mean, it's it's such a bad thing. You just get into it. You slunch over. I see exactly what you're talking about. You slouch. The tummy gets tucked in. Your rib cage is kind of over your organs a bit. Your legs may come up. It's almost like you're curling into like a a minor manifestation of the fetal position. Yeah, yeah, it's, exactly. It's and the fetal picture. position is really, yeah. But the fetal position is really powerful as well. You know, so I would I would back up. Uh, I hear everything you're saying, and I would just slightly change. Uh, the bad part. There's no such thing as bad per se. You know, it's all just the way that we look at things. You know, but it's not bad. It's just a expression. It's a tool. You know, so the screwdriver isn't bad. The hammer isn't bad. They're all just different expressions. So though that fetal position is really important. You know, so I would embrace the fetal position. Sometimes it's really important to have a cry. Sometimes it's really important to go in and protect yourself. Sometimes it's really important to feel as safe as you possibly can feel. You don't always need to show up and be the big, strong, empowered, superhuman, superman, superwoman. And as that what we end up doing with that, we create a stagnation on the other end. Now we create this empowerment stagnation where we're just stuck in that one range of motion. What we'll do with that is we don't, we're not able to access some of the more vulnerable parts of ourselves. I know this is getting like way out there, but I think it's it's no, viable. I don't, I don't think it's very far out at all. I think it's spot on. Now let's go, let's go back to uh, you helping out Mercola for a minute. So when you get sure. done with a session and you're helping out his diaphragm, you mentioned some breathing techniques were involved and such. Is there homework? or some type of a prescription that you're giving him to say, okay, look, if you don't want this to happen again, or you want to make a sustainable change, do this, this, and that. Was there anything yeah, like absolutely. that? Yeah. Uh, hanging is a big one. You know, so you can look at your lungs. If you ever look at the anatomy of, of watching lungs inflate, it's one of the most beautiful things you'll ever see. I highly recommend including that in like the show notes. Um, just seeing, I mean, YouTube, you know, whatever description, lungs inflating and you, it's, it's amazing. It's beautiful to see. And, but what you see with that is as we raise our arms up over our head, we start to suspend those beautiful bags and that are, you know, our, our, our pleura, our lungs and all the fascia, all the connective tissue around that. If we're stuck in that hunched over protective position all the time, they end up becoming kind of like crystallized, hardened. You know, so just pulling yourself up, <gasps> arms up overhead, that position in and of itself starts to move all that connective tissue around around the lungs. Now the lungs are directly connected to the heart. You, know, you could almost you could almost argue it's like one organ. You know, so and then all the connective tissue wrapping around the heart, the pericardium, that whole cavity, that's dependent on your movement. And so as you're breathing, your lungs, your lungs don't breathe themselves. You're, you're pulling open that chest cavity to create a vacuum to pull air into your chest, right? So if you can start 
enlivening some of that tissue just through something as, as simple and easy as a passive hang, like grabbing a, find a local tree branch and just hang on that sucker for a few minutes a day. It doesn't need to be a few minutes all at once. It can be 20 seconds at a time, you know, or grab a, get a pull up bar, put it in your doorway. Every time you walk outside before you get into sit in your freaking terrible bucket seat car, which you should adjust that as well. We can talk about it. Um, hang, Open up the lungs a little bit before we go back into that fetal position. We just need to treat it for the nutritional supplement conversation is a totally, totally great way to look at it. You know, if you're getting an excessive amount of B vitamins, you probably need some type of other mineral or vitamin to kind of to balance that out. We can, we can't just do one position or or it starts to become toxic. The other one is squatting. If you go through a full functional squatting range of motion, same way we described previously, that takes that whole abdominal cavity into, it creates a vacuum the other direction. And so as you start to open up that pelvic floor, as you go through that, that hip range of motion, it kind of, it acts as like a, it's like a, it moves the fluid throughout your viscera, throughout your organ system. So most of those, most of your organs, they're not muscles as well. They're dependent on your movement. They're dependent on you creating compression. They're dependent on you creating that fluid movement. The way that we do that is through things like squatting and leaning over and bringing our arms up over our head or just like being a human. You know, as we break it down into these myopic angles, it starts to get weird you know, and you start kind of like always trying to jumpstart the car instead of just like going for a drive. You know, and so if you can get to the point, sometimes we need a little jumpstart through having these practices. But then eventually, maybe you just dance more. Maybe you just sing more. And there's someone recently told me that uh, doctors in some tribal community in Africa, they when someone was sick, they would ask them, when did you stop singing? When did you stop dancing? I've heard that. Because when you stop, yeah, you know, when you stop singing and dancing, it's like, oh, okay, that's now now you're in trouble, you know. But we don't have. We end up being really insecure about song and dance in Western culture, and we have one of the most scattered cultures on on the globe. You know, we have all this stuff that's supposed to make us happy, but we're using more anti-anxiety and anti-depression and obesity and all this stuff is going through the roof. Meanwhile, we have more access to healthcare than anywhere in the world, but we're insecure about singing and dancing. That's a trip. Julia Ross, when she came on the show, she had talked about just seeing the 1970s and 80s and 90s and 2000s, 2010s and just depression growing and mood issues growing and she told this story on the podcast about a lady who she heard down the hallway at this hotel she was staying at and she was singing and she thought wow this is amazing she said people back in the 1970s they used to sing and it was just a thing Mm -hmm. everybody would be whistling walking down the street and she goes when's the last time you heard somebody walking down the street singing or whistling i was like never and yeah. so anyway, she went up to this lady and, and spoke with her and said, wow, you just you have a beautiful voice. I love hearing you sing. And I think she said she was from Mexico and she had just moved to the U.S. maybe a year or two ago. And she thought, wow, this is a lady who'd preserved that part of her culture and had not been basically corrupted, if you will, for lack of a better term, with our society where it's almost frowned upon to be singing and be silly. So that's yeah. so interesting. I, I looked up what you said, by the way, because uh, I had heard that before. I couldn't find like an exact tribe, but I just found an article that was just saying uh, they they call it the four universal healing salves. This is pretty cool. Mm. I've not read this before, so this is pretty cool. But it says here, yeah, hit me. Uh, in many shamanic societies, if you came to a shaman or a medicine person complaining of being disheartened, dispirited, or depressed, they would ask one of the four following questions. When did you stop dancing? When mm. did you stop singing? When did you stop being enchanted by stories? <laughs> that one's freaking cool. And yeah. When did you stop finding comfort in the sweet territory of silence? That last one gives me goosebumps. I'm going to read that one again. I had goosebumps the whole time, yeah. When did you stop finding comfort in the sweet territory of silence? Yeah. Whoa. Holy smokes. (laughs) This feels like an important conversation. Doesn't it? I'm really glad that. You, you looked that up. It's really I, I, good. I'll put I'll put this to you in the chat box so that you can have it just for later. I mean that just that just made my day. I think. I mean, 
this is the stuff that people aren't talking about. I mean, you can get yeah. all the lab testing in the world, and I'm a huge proponent. I run lab testing on every client. I consider it incredibly vital to my success. But look, I mean, holy smokes, how many of these people that are saying, I'm anxious, or I'm depressed, or hey, Aaron, look, my back hurts, please help me. How many of those people aren't dancing, aren't singing, are not being enchanted by stories, and are not finding comfort in the sweet territory of silence? Yeah, and dancing and singing, for a lot of people, that might be. I try to speak into, you know, more than just the people. Some people are like, oh, like, dancing and singing, that's a little bit too far. It's like, well, realize that all day long, every word that you say is a song. You're just playing your vocal box that you're literally just playing an instrument all the time. So if I speak slower and deeper, it starts to impact the way that you feel. You know, if I start going up here and I communicate in this type of way, it impacts your perception of me. It also, at a, at a deeper you know, nervous system level, it literally changes you. And so realizing that 100% of the time, you, you're a musician. <laughs> you're just, as the, the moment that you took a breath and you made a sound, you started making music. The moment that you came out of your, well, before that, you know, but it's going to say came out of your mom, but the moment that, that your whole being is movement. You know, so anytime we're communicating, there's a, what is a guy, his name's Albert Morabian, he's a Harvard dude, he's from like the 50s or 60s, there's a study broke down, I think it was 55% of our communication is via body language, 38% is via tonality, and 7% is the actual words that we're saying. You know, and so with that, body language isn't just the my movements with my hands and all that, it's the the elasticity of my skin. It's the, the what the, my my eyes. It's the you know. There's am I sweating? Am I? There's we're reading each other's signals well well beyond the words that we're actually saying. And when you're communicating an idea to somebody, if you've ever tried to lie to somebody, which you know I'm sure most of us have, people say like there's people are telling fibs throughout the day all the time. Uh, so if you ever had that experience where you're stole the cookies or whatever you try to lie about it you'll notice your body wants to tell the truth your body always wants to tell the truth and if someone lies to you if they say something but their body says something different you only trust their body you know, so that's what we're doing all the time we think that we're smart and we're clever and we're operating on this little one percent of our reality, which is like the words and, you know, consciously what we think we're doing. But I think there's another 99% of what's actually going on there. You know, and movement, tonality, all those things that we don't pay as much attention to. I think those are the, those are actually, they're kind of like, uh, they're important, you know, leave it at that. You, you made a great point. You're basically singing all day. I'm singing right now to you. The tone, the inflection of the voice, my passion, the emotion going into that. There's so much more behind when you're talking to someone. That's just such a trip because I think of conversations that I've had with monotone people and I cannot stand it. It's terrible. Yeah. Yeah, it's really tough. And so that's speaking of like learning to conversate. That's a big thing is, is, is knowing am I – is this tone – putting people to sleep or am I doing a meditation app or CD and my intention is to calm people down. <laughs> you know? It's like, what do you want? <laughs> that is funny. That is funny. Well, so, so, so don't be, don't be boring. If you're listening and you're monotone, please add some more inflections to your voice. I promise it's going to make your emotions better. It's going to make your relationships better. I think Aaron would agree. It's going to make your conversations better which then maybe those conversations translates to better emotions and then those motions stimulate movement and excitement and body language. I mean, as we divide things up, it's funny because then it all has to be tied back together in this big spider web. And I think the spider web of health, the movement is the critical piece that many people aren't talking about. They, they talk about it in the way of like, okay, I do CrossFit for 30 minutes three times a week. And that's yeah. their conversation of movement, but it's just so much, it's everything you do. I mean, here's a, here's a quick example. I know we got to wrap up, but, uh, so I had dealt with a massive amount of traffic on the highway the other day, and I'm not frequently on the highway. I'm typically trying to take back roads and such, uh, two lane roads out here just because it's more fun. And 
so I ended up on the highway, so much traffic, a semi truck cut me off and it was a close call. I don't know if he didn't see me or, or what happened, but he, he got right in front of me and I was pissed and I was like, oh my God, you idiot. And my daughter picked up on the emotion and then she started fussing. And it's like, she doesn't even know what the words you idiot are. She has no idea. She's 20 months old. But just the emotion, the tonality of the voice, like you're mentioning, you're always singing. You're always projecting that energy. She read that energy enough to know that that wasn't good. And she started like, wah, like, like, dad, what's wrong? And I was like, oh, honey, honey, it's okay. It's okay. No problem. And then, you know, my wife told her, oh, babe, it's fine. And then she was back to normal. But it's so funny. Even a kid. A little baby can't get fooled by stuff like that. The kid is picking up on the emotions, has no clue what the word idiot means, and and knew that that was negative. So I guess maybe where I'm going with this, and, and this is kind of something you've said without saying it, is that you're projecting who you are in many ways, whether you're aware that you're projecting it or not, with the way that you're holding your head up, with the way that you're potentially scrunching in or putting your head down or slunching forward or the tonality of the voice or the emotion behind it or the way you're sitting the way you're standing like everything is being projected so this doesn't mean become overly self-critical which i know can be a common thing to do but just be aware of it so then you can look deeper into your health symptoms and realize okay how may how may this stuff be connected because i think it is yeah and then the the big thing is 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 i'm i'm a little bit sensitive to something that's good, bad, better, worse. Yeah. It's just results that you do or do not want. You know, so figuring out the, the clarity of your vision is, is a really important thing. So determine what the heck is it that I want from this life and what do I want from this body and what do I want from this fill in the blank. And then from there, okay, now we can kind of have a good, bad, better, worse conversation because we can see whether it's steering us towards that direction or not. No, but in general, if you want to go deep into your art and you're an emo, goth, whatever your thing is, then maybe go into it. Yeah. <laughs> like get dark, crumple yourself over, really feel it. You know, and then from there, by allowing ourselves that permission to really feel, that allows us to kind of get to the kernel of whatever the whatever whatever the the problem or whatever the insecurity or whatever the thing is and then you can actually have some real foundation to build from but too often i think we're kind of trying to hide from ourselves and putting in this puffed up chest thing because that's what i read in the book it's gonna make me feel better sometimes i think it's actually really valuable to, to go and like have have a day and just be dark you know or have a moment or maybe it's like it's it's like throughout the day like it's okay to have some time and just, uh, you know, explore all the parts of yourself. Don't be afraid of any part of yourself, I guess, is what I'm kind of doppelically trying to get at. No, I like it. I like it. So there's there was a little a little link at the bottom of that that article I was reading about those questions, and it was a, a book link called The Fourfold Way, Walking the Paths of the Warrior, the Healer, Teacher, and Visionary. So maybe mm-hmm. that's in that book. I don't know, but I'm just telling you in case I'm right that that's what they're saying is that came from that book. It's called The Fourfold Way. So maybe that's something we should add to our wish list. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that before. I got to look deeper into that stuff. Well, awesome. Well, we got to wrap this up, but I want people to check out your site. They can check out your podcast. The website is aligntherapy.com. And you've got, what, 100 something 200 something where are you at numbers wise with with podcast episodes so i've released a podcast every monday morning for the last three years so that's been it's like almost 160 episodes of going out and then i've recorded a lot more than that um so i got i've got a bunch in the bank so people can jump back i recommend people listening to conversation with evan which was a few episodes ago um or any of them i mean i i wouldn't release a conversation if i didn't think it was great so Check it out. Hope you guys enjoy. Sweet. Awesome. And you can go check out Aaron uh, impressing you with his muscles on Instagram. <laughs> if you're into that, he's always posting videos of him in crazy positions that I don't know how he does. So uh, <laughs> go check out Aaron on Instagram. It's the same uh, 
URL. It'll be Align Podcast. So go stalk him and study him and, and learn from him. Aaron, thanks so much for your wisdom. Always fun to chat with you. And if I'm in California, then we'll go we'll go sunbathing together and maybe you can teach me some some fitness uh, exercise. Yeah. We'll hit up Old Muscle Beach. That's the, that's the spot. I've been there. People, it's cool. Yeah, I dig it. People as well, if they want to get started on the whole kind of revamping your movement journey, uh, on the front page there is a five-day movement challenge, and we just we break down pretty much everything that we, we were getting at earlier in the conversation around the, the movement mechanics. That's a nice starting point for people if they have more interest. So cool. it's an option. Go check it out. Yeah. Aaron, thanks again. Thanks so much, brother. It's Take always care. fun to get, to get to dig in with you. See you. You too. Bye. All right, I hope you enjoyed that one. You know, this gives you a few things to think about. You know, when I was listening back to this, I thought, you know what? Why is it bad if your knees are pointing above your hips? Because think of like your ancestors, how they sit in a primal squat position. It's like, shouldn't you just be in a primal squat while you're working on your computer? It's like, I don't know. I don't know all the answers, but I think listen to what Aaron says. Try out some of the adjustments, you know, getting your laptop up, getting your screen up making sure you're not bending down or doing any weird crazy angles that are hurting your wrist and causing your fingers to go numb. I hear of so many clients, their hands, their fingers are feeling numb and we just do a couple of these movement modifications and all of a sudden the pain goes away. So just reevaluate your movement patterns, reevaluate the things that you're stuck in and let's try to let's try to mitigate that. I hope that helps. I look forward to talking with you again next week. If you want to reach out, get help from a functional medicine perspective, Schedule that consult on my website, evanbrand.com, E-V-A-N, last name brand, like brand name, and I look forward to talking with you soon. Have a good one. Bye-bye. He acts like it's all good, yeah, like everything's cool. Kiss a girl and I never please her. She doesn't have a clue that he's terrible clues. Why I'm in a tire, gotta watch out, girl. Don't wanna see her by her eyes out, girl. Cause I've been watching, you've been hurting. Let me be the one that 